0: From WLRN Public Media in Miami and Florida Public Radio, this is Decision Florida. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hudson.
1: And I'm Matthew Petty from WMFE in Orlando. There was a time just a few weeks ago when Gary Johnson looked to be a significant third party contender in Florida. The Libertarian Party presidential candidate was polling at close to 10%, much more than what the difference had been between Clinton and Trump in Florida polls. But that support has eroded as Election Day nears. Johnson is polling at about 3% in Florida. Still enough, though, to make an impact
0: in the final results in a close race. And it certainly remains close here, Matthew, in Florida. So that's the presidential horse race. In the battle for ideas, Florida has been friendly to third-party candidates in the past. And messages of low regulation and low taxes, like Libertarian Party messages, tend to resonate with voters here. Well, Governor Gary
1: Johnson joins us now. Governor, thank you so much for being here. You bet. I want to start by asking about those poll numbers. Now, back in mid-September, your, your numbers were up uh, sort of nudging around 10%. Can the Libertarian Party platform do still better than that in future presidential elections, do you think?
2: Uh, I do. I think, that, uh, I think that Trump is toast right now, and um, I think uh, we're offering up a very honorable alternative to Trump. I also think we're offering up a really all,
1: uh, honorable alternative to Hillary, too. What do you need to do from here on out to build the libertarian cause? Well, from here on out, I mean, just with just
2: a couple of weeks to go, um, I think I've got about eleven rallies scheduled between now and election day, uh, and you know, being excluded from the presidential debates—that was kind of a—that was kind of a kick in the teeth, and uh, as you guys may well be aware. Ross Perot was polling less than I am right now when he was allowed into the presidential debates. Now, he was polling very high, then he dropped out. When he came back in, he was polling lower than I was at the time of the presidential debate. So, hey, Democrats and Republicans that don't want anybody else on stage, I get it. I, I'm based in reality, but uh, seeing this uh, firsthand, um, it's also... Um, uh, I don't know. I think it's a rigged game. I think uh, people really deserve to hear more than just a couple of voices on stage. And myself and Bill Weld as the Libertarian nominees, we're the only third party on the ballot in all 50 states.
0: Governor Johnson, it's Tom Hudson. You just used that R word that Donald Trump has uh, used in regards to the election. Do you do you share his sentiment when it comes to uh, to the election? Well, not rigged from the standpoint of uh, that uh, 50 states
2: are colluding with one another to skew the vote totals. No, that's uh, that's not happening. And I am speak now as having having been the former governor of New Mexico. But uh, when it comes to the debates, for example, um, look, 50 percent of people that are going to register to vote right now are registering as independent. Well, where is that representation when it comes to Democrats and Republicans? Um I think right now that representation is uh, myself and Bill Weld, libertarian nominees, and speaking very broadly, fiscally conservative, socially inclusive, uh, skeptical with regard
0: to our military interventions, and free market. Governor Johnson, electability is an issue, certainly in Florida, where it could be a matter of a few thousand votes, and as history has shown, maybe even a few hundred vote uh, separation between the popular vote winner and loser. We had a question from our Public Insight Network here in Florida. Uh from um, Alex and Coral Gables, who asked, which candidate, Republican, Democrat, or Green, do you feel you're taking votes from? How much and why do you want to?
2: Well, offering people a third a third choice, in this case, you know, leading among independents, uh, in, at this point tied for the lead among young people. And uh, overwhelming pick to be next commander-in-chief among active military personnel. So I could really give a hoot who I'm taking it from. Um, <laughs> but, but obviously, uh, offering, obviously, all those
0: separate—sorry up... for the interruption, uh, Governor Johnson. But obviously, all those separate demographics go into the popular vote. So while you may be you know, winning against this demographic or winning with that demographic, frankly, it's the popular vote that shows you polling now maybe 3 maybe 4%.
2: Well, and frankly, you guys, when you talk about it this way, you somehow make this appear as though it's not a noble effort. And I'm going to view this as a really noble effort. I'm going to view this as giving voice uh, to people that currently don't have voice. Maybe they'll all stay home. Maybe every single one of the people that are voting for me wouldn't have even come out.
1: Governor Johnson, Matthew Petty from WMFE here. I want to ask you about a statement from your running mate, Bill Weld. Uh, Now, he released a statement denouncing Donald Trump, saying he would become, quote, unhinged by the pressure of the office of president if we were elected. He also called the campaign the worst of American politics. Now, Democrats read this as a code to vote for Hillary Clinton. Obviously, that wasn't the message your campaign wanted to get out there. But I'm wondering if it raises the question, how do you get voters to take third party candidates seriously?
2: Well, uh, you've, you, um, right now, in the way that you're reporting this, is somehow you're reporting us as being spoilers. Somehow you're reporting us as being spoilers. And, um, gee, uh, you're you're asking me to justify? Hasn't history shown? You're asking me to justify viability. And look, viability is giving voice. Electability, sir. Well, uh, and in this case, you are talking about a former governor of New Mexico, two terms, Republican serving in a heavily Democrat state. My running mate, Bill Weld, same resume, uh, Massachusetts. Um, look, we're used to we're used to winning. It is about electability. in this case, electability so hinged on being in the presidential debates i mean it's a real chicken and egg thing mm-hmm. and look um, i'm a, I'm a uh, the glass is half full for me uh, all the time so <laughs> uh, you, you know uh, I, I i i
0: don't want to be whining here at all i'd just like to point out the reality well let's talk policy then governor how about that let's move on to some specific issues that are affecting the lives of floridians and all americans the number one issue this election cycle again has been the economy uh, you have voiced support for a consumption tax to replace, quote, all income and payroll taxes. Is this a national sales tax? Would it be a flat tax?
2: Well, uh, first of all, myself and Bill Weld, both of us, um, I, I think uh, jobs also hinge on just certainty. So if Bill Weld and I were elected, you could count on taxes not going up. Neither of us in our states raise taxes a penny in any category. Count on us to always support the lowering of taxes, making taxes more simple. I'm not getting elected king or dictator, but if I could wave a magic wand, uh, I would replace income tax and corporate tax with one federal consumption tax. I put out there the fair tax as a template Mm -hmm. for how you would dot the I's and cross the T's to accomplish one federal consumption tax. I think with zero corporate tax, which let's not kid ourselves, um, we pay for corporate tax. Without a corporate tax, I believe tens of millions of jobs would get created in this country for no other reason than just that. In the 2012 cycle, they pointed out that I had the best record when it came to job creation. My response to that in the 2012 cycle was, look, government doesn't create jobs. The private sector does. I didn't create a single job in New Mexico, but I did create this certainty. This notion that taxes were not going to go up, that rules and regulations were only going to get better, and did that. And in that environment, uh, jobs grew in New Mexico.
0: So no increase in uh, federal taxes, uh, perhaps a a decrease in those taxes. Uh, You've talked as well about having a balanced budget. How do you go after uh, Social Security, Medicare spending, even Medicaid spending for that matter, Governor? Well, you point
2: out the big three when it comes to balancing the federal budget. And, look, balancing the federal budget has everything to do with young people. Um, That's ensuring that young people have something when they get older. Right now, I think young people are just getting screwed. Uh, I'm going to get my retirement. I'm going to get my health care. And, oh, young person, you're going to have to pay for that. And, oh, um, you know what? It probably won't even be around by the time you need it. So would you change those entitlement programs? Well, yes, uh, reforming. I don't think it's an option to not talk about reforming those entitlements. In the case of Medicaid, having been governor of New Mexico, in my heart of hearts, if the federal government would have block granted the state of New Mexico a fixed amount of money, uh, I believe I could have overseen the drawing of new lines of eligibility. There would have been a health care safety net. And in the context of returning or giving Medicaid completely to the states, 50 laboratories of what I will call innovation, I think you'd have some fabulous success that would get emulated by the other states as opposed to one-size-fits-all. I would propose the same for Medicare, something that is not states at all. That's federal. But using that same template, uh, I think that that could also... Uh, set out uh, reform for Medicaid and reform, uh, raising entitlement age, uh, co-pays, you could have health savings accounts, Uh, all these things, you know, none, not one single one of those uh, addresses the problem of insolubility, which is what exists. But taken in, in whole, I mean, you can improve on the fiscal situation that that they're broke and same goes for social security raising the retirement age look it's going to be there for me but kids and now I'm back to young people you're going to pay for it and <laughs> good luck if it's around by the time you get around and how does how does all this manifest itself uh, you know look we're we're not going to go bankrupt because we print money to cover um the expenses that we have but the ultimate outcome for all of this is going to be horrible inflation at some point. And that's historic,
1: and uh, we're not immune from uh, history. Uh, Governor Johnson, since you bring up health care, let's uh, pivot to medical marijuana. Now, Floridians, as you may be aware, are going to vote on whether to legalize medical marijuana this election. Is that a good move, do you think?
2: I do. Um, I think that uh, statistically speaking, uh, marijuana products don't kill anyone. They haven't been shown to have caused one single death. And when you look at the prescription drug side of it, uh, that's a number that kills about 30,000 people a year. So you've got these products that uh, arguably are as effective, and they don't kill anybody. So that's kind of a no-brainer, but yeah, I do think it's a good thing.
0: Governor Johnson, do you still have your ownership stake in the uh, cannabis company you
2: used to lead? I still have stock in that company, yes. And, um, you know, the opportunity that presented itself for me was, was that um, on the um, medical side, I just spoke to the medical side, on the recreational side, um, I think that uh, marijuana, bottom line, is safer than everything else that's out there, starting with alcohol—
0: Governor Gary Johnson, former governor of New Mexico, libertarian presidential candidate, uh, joining us here today on Decision Florida. Thanks so much for your time, sir. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you, guys. appreciate it. Still to come on our program, the race for the U.S. Senate. Who has your vote? Let your voice be heard. From the peninsula to the panhandle, 305-995-1800. This is Decision Florida from Florida Public Radio.
1: From Florida Public Radio, this is Decision Florida. I'm
0: Matthew Petty with WMFE in Orlando. And I'm Tom Hudson with WLRN in Miami. Now, Matthew, the biggest Florida-only political contest this election is, of course, the race for the United States Senate here. Incumbent Republican Marco Rubio has spent months running for president earlier this year, not for re-election to his seat. That is, until he went back on months of saying he wasn't interested in another term and decided that, in fact, he did want to stay in the Senate. That's right, Tom. And as Democratic challenger Patrick Murphy wants to move from the House of Representatives
1: after two terms, the two met this week for their second and final debate. Social security, jobs and police relations were among the issues, as were the others' credentials. Here's Murphy, followed by Rubio. Ten thousand times was your quote that you weren't going to run
2: for the Senate again. And the day before qualifying, of course, you throw your name back in. And then it takes
3: you four months to finally admit to the voters that you want this job. He has no record of achievement and I encourage people to compare that to the things I've done in my nine years in Tallahassee, including to a speaker, and the things that I've done over the last six years.
0: So who do you support in the race for the United States Senate seat that is uh, on the ballot this fall here in Florida? What's the issue that has your support? Is it the economy? Is it the environment? Uh, Perhaps it's trade or jobs, maybe Cuba. Join us here statewide on Decision Florida, 305-995-1800. 305-995-1800. Or on social media, use the hashtag Decision Florida. And joining us also, our guest, Patty Mazze,
1: political reporter with the Miami Herald. Patty, thanks for joining us.
4: Happy to be here.
1: Also joined by Josh Gillen. He's a reporter with PolitiFact Florida from the Tampa Bay Times. Josh, thanks for you joining us as well. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, the two candidates have tried to paint each other as proxies for their party's presidential candidates. Uh, Patty Mazze, is this kind of um, painting it in sort of uh, monochromatic terms? Is it really the way that that is?
4: Well, what we're seeing from the polls is that voters don't seem to think that we are seeing a split ticket factor where uh, Hillary Clinton is leading in Florida. And so is Marco Rubio, which suggests a lot of people intend or have already voted for Clinton and also for Rubio, a Democrat and then a Republican. So it's harder to uh, to say that that is succeeding when you see those numbers. Having said that, Rubio is still supporting Trump for president, though he has not campaigned with him. And so Murphy's strategy. Has appeared to be just to tie Rubio to Trump as much as possible, um, which of course has led Rubio to say, well, you know, can you say something different, uh, find a different line of attack here?
1: Mm -hmm. I think the quote was something along the lines of a a noun, a verb, and uh, Donald Trump. Uh, Correct. Um, Well, how does that look to you, Josh Gillen? Is the strategy working for Patrick Murphy? Has he been able to sort of drag uh, Marco Rubio down with this anchor of Donald Trump, if that's what it is?
3: Well, you know, PolitiFact really doesn't get into uh, whether or not these things are working or not. You know, that's Patty. You know, Patty works with us, uh, you know, from the Miami Herald, uh, Tampa Bay Times, uh, Tallahassee Bureau. And and actually, you know, what we have seen is there's a lot of attacks on each other's resumes as Mm -hmm. well. And so we spend a lot of of time uh, checking those statements. And, and there's been a lot of uh, a lot of problems here, especially for Patrick Murphy, who uh, has been using uh, PolitiFact as kind of a shield because Republicans have have kind of gone after what he's claimed to his his credentials. And uh, meanwhile, Patrick Murphy has really gone over Rubio's voting record. And and, uh, you know, as we've kind of mentioned, the idea that he didn't really want to be in the Senate anymore. So that's mm-hmm. what we've been checking.
1: Josh, you actually had to Politifact uh, reference to Politifact that Patrick Murphy used, right? Getting a little kind of Inception level uh, inside of there, but um, how did that turn out?
3: Right. Well, you know, we didn't put it on our Truthometer. You know, we have our Truthometer that rates those statements, but you know, we did talk about uh, how he said, uh, you know, his quote that was that that it had that we had debunked these attacks against right. him, and and that's just not really accurate. Uh, what we have found actually is that you know the uh, National Republican Senatorial committee had gone after Murphy uh, saying he was a CPA uh, actually you know that's that's true he he is a CPA he has a CPA license but it's from the state of Colorado it's not uh, from Florida so he's not a licensed CPA in Florida but he took the test through Colorado which a lot of uh, accounting experts told us is pretty uh, pretty normal that that's how that happens but other things you know he said like his academic record uh, he had for a long time said he had two degrees from the University of Miami, and that's not true. He only had one degree with uh, two majors. And so, you know, that's something that wasn't debunked. There actually, there's a nuance to it, but uh, that attack against him has been accurate.
0: That's the attack that the Republicans have used against the Democrat Murphy. The Democrat Murphy has attacked the Republican Rubio. For his attendance uh, in the united states senate let's put voice to this and senator rubio uh, has also been attacked by murphy for his continued support of donald trump
2: senator rubio has the worst voting record of any senator from florida in nearly 50 years and has gone on to endorse donald trump
0: the man that by his own account he doesn't trust with the nuclear codes so josh gillen with politifact florida and tampa bay times how do you rate those two claims rubio worst voting record in 50 years from florida and uh, the lack of trust that uh, Rubio has in the top of the ticket, Donald Trump.
3: Well, you know, actually, we looked at a couple claims there. Uh, you know, as far as being having the worst voting record and for at least fifty years, you know, we called that one mostly true, and we had to go all the way back to Democrat George Smathers, who left office in nineteen sixty-nine. And you could look at the the data a lot of different ways because some senators miss more votes overall, but uh, you know, his record is largely in line with other presidential candidates uh, from the U.S. Senate. Rubio's is right, right. Uh, but he did have the highest uh, absentee rate since 1969 Uh, you know so he there was really a point there as far as uh, how Rubio has felt about uh, Donald Trump well he has said before you know that uh, he thought Donald Trump was a con man and and that he didn't trust Trump with the nuclear codes you know and and he has said that so we rated that statement true
0: Patty Masay let me ask you what's the geography at play the geographic calculation that Senator Rubio uh, appears to be making with this uh, maybe two-arms-length distance from the top of the ticket of the Republican Party?
4: Well, he is really banking on doing well in Miami-Dade County, and that is his home county. He's from West Miami. He is remarkably well-known throughout the state because he ran for president. I think I've seen some polls where upwards of 90 percent of people know who Marco Rubio is. Compare that to Murphy, where we saw in a poll not too long ago uh, that I think it was 36 percent of of respondents did not know his name. That is a a high number of people saying they can't identify the Senate candidate on the ballot. And in Miami-Dade, that's a particular problem for Murphy because it is the largest county in the state. It is blue. It has a huge number of Democrats. And this is where Democrats can bank a lot of votes uh, to make up for redder North Florida and Southwest Florida. And here... Uh, you know, Hispanics are evenly split between Rubio and Murphy, and th- those numbers are, are problematic for a Democrat. Now, we've seen some suggestions that the race is tightening, but it, it looks like Rubio continues to outperform Trump. And uh, it's getting really close now because so many people have started voting to, to really see big changes, I think.
1: Patty Mazzei, um, at a, an event in Orlando not too long ago, a Calle Orange Street Festival um, last Sunday, Rubio was actually booed off stage. I'm wondering, is that kind of an indication of his vulnerability with uh, the uh, Hispanic voting bloc?
4: Well, look, I don't read uh, too much into those events because you never know who, uh, ha- when it's spur of the moment and when sure. it's an organized effort. Um, I do think Rubio, uh, because of his uh, immigration uh, you know, change where he was going to be in the Gang of Eight and supporting the Comprehensive Immigration Bill and then saying, no, 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 it has to be done in a piecemeal process, um, really lost some of his Hispanic support. But in Florida, immigration is not as big an issue as it is in other states, because Puerto Ricans are citizens and Cubans get special uh, immigration status. And so it doesn't apply in quite the same way. And at the end of the day, Rubio is Cuban American. He speaks fluent Spanish, mm-hmm. and uh, that accounts for a lot of his Hispanic support. I'm
1: gonna go to the phones now. We'll go to uh, Judy in Jacksonville. Uh, Judy, when you look at this race, Rubio versus Murphy, what are you seeing?
5: Well, <clears throat> I'm a registered Republican, and as a woman, I cannot support Rubio um, for several reasons: raising children and trying to, you know, focus on getting them to understand you must be on time, you must go to work on time, and also go to work. And I just feel like he's not the role model I want for my grandchildren, and also, you know, just can't go there with him. Um, He gave up on us, he quit. So it's the the
1: attendance that's kind of hitting home for you? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm.
5: I mean, he should have to pay back the money. (laughs) for the time he missed.
0: That's that uh, Democratic attack line that seems to be working with the Republican up in uh, North Florida. Let's uh, go in South Florida here on line 9. Mark is joining us from Fort Lauderdale. Mark, uh, the US Senate race, what do you see?
3: Well, I see in Rubio a senator that probably would be more suited towards a very conservative state like Oklahoma um or Utah. His um his hostility to any type of gay rights legislation, his hostility to uh, women's reproductive choice, I think is totally out of step with Florida, and I think that, therefore, I'm, I'm supporting Murphy because I, I live in the 21st century.
0: Mark, we appreciate the uh, thoughts there from uh, the Venice of uh, the United States, Fort Lauderdale. Uh, 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 Josh Gillen with PolitiFact Florida How about the issues? Where are uh, the real meat of differences that you've been able to pick up on with uh, Senator Rubio and uh, Representative Murphy in this debate?
3: Well, a, a couple of issues that have really come up in these in both of these debates here is uh, well, you know one of them was uh, abortion that keeps coming up quite a bit and and Rubio is a very uh, outspoken uh, pro-life uh, candidate you know he he talks about this a lot and there's been a lot of parsing of his uh, statements especially in light of the recent crisis with uh, Zika in Florida and and so you know he had talked about uh, how how he would vote for uh, uh, legislation for abortion that that contained exceptions uh, in the case of saving the mother's life or or uh, rape and incest but he has also said that he would vote for legislation that did not have those exceptions and so uh, this is something that Murphy has uh, you know really picked up on and and he is a pro-choice candidate uh, and another one uh, that we just heard this week was a lot of talk about Obamacare and Rubio has really gone after this and he actually went after a provision of Obamacare. This came up during uh, this week's debate called the the risk corridors. And uh, very quickly, risk corridors are this idea that, uh, you know, uh, insurers are all having to adjust their rates for for new new clients, right? There's people who might be sicker than usual. We know that. And so while they're adjusting their rates to see how they can uh, take in premiums and still cover costs, uh, they would uh, put money in a pool and help pay uh, expenses, if they, if companies lost money, right? Now, in this case, Rubio went in and and he really pushed a provision that said uh, the government cannot move money around in its own budget to do this. And he called this a bailout. Mm -hmm. He would say that they would take tax money from other areas and pay off anything extra. And it's just really kind of, you know, experts have told us that's not a very good uh, way to describe that. Uh, Medicare Part D actually had something like risk corridors in it. It was the same kind of program. And it's also temporary. It, It... ends at the end of 2016. So we'll see how that shakes out. Meanwhile, Murphy has uh, made a big point of saying he supports the parts of Obamacare that are working, uh, you know, things that, uh, uh, you know, companies cannot deny you coverage and things like that. So those are the kinds of things we have heard at both debates.
0: Josh Gillen is with PolitiFact, and uh, Patty Maze is also along with us, political reporter for the Miami Herald. You're listening to Decision Florida from WLRN Miami. This is Florida Public Radio.
1: Well, Donald Trump has talked about a rigged election at his rallies. He's told his supporters that there's large-scale voter fraud in play. The story breaking t- in South Florida today, though two women arrest- arrested for election fraud. One of the women arrested was charged with illegally marking ballots. The other unlawfully filled out voter registration forms on behalf of United for Care. Now, the Miami Herald's Patty Mazzay broke the story. Um, Patty, tell us more about these two cases. I mean, in the first case, how many ballots are we talking about?
4: Well, the... Uh, The investigators were able to charge uh, this temporary worker at the Elections Department with two felony counts because those were the ballots they could confirm. However, in reading uh, the arrest affidavit, it's clear that witnesses saw her mark several more ballots. You know, how many? We're not going to know because those ballots have already been counted. Um, so, Patty, s- do we
0: know what races she was remarking the ballots?
4: She told investigators that she was filling in ballots for Raquel Regalado for Miami Dade County Mayor, apparently in ballots where voters had left that race blank. This is
0: a local election in Miami Dade County.
4: That's correct. Yep. She did not say uh, why. Um, and she is a registered independent. Regalado is a Republican in a nonpartisan race. Uh, we we have found no evidence tying the two women together. Regalado said she does not know this person and this has nothing to do with her. Um, so that is where we're at with that case.
1: And then you've got some registrations form in an unconnected case, um, a voter registration rather. What What was going on there?
4: According to investigators, this was a canvasser hired on behalf of the United for Care campaign that's pushing for a yes on Amendment 2. That's the constitutional ballot that would legalize medical marijuana. Uh, she was hired to register voters, and the elections department noticed that these forms were coming in looking very similar to each other, same handwriting, same signature. So they uh, followed um, this canvasser. They surveilled. They did surveillance on her and didn't see any evidence of her actually registering voters. And, however, the next day she turned in a bunch of forms. Um, and so they, they took those forms. They found out that uh, several were from made-up people. Uh, She had apparently turned some in earlier for dead people and then they found five real people who were listed on them, just their names and birth dates, all the other information, their address and everything was wrong. In fact, some of them were already registered to vote. And so they uh, arrested her and charged her with unlawfully filling out voter registration forms.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh Gillen from PolitiFact, um, I mean, there's a bigger kind of story in the background here. I'm wondering how the, this these revelations, this particular story sort of fits into that broader picture, that narrative that Donald Trump is painting when he talks about ballot fraud and a rigged election.
3: Right. Well, you know, we have looked at a few claims uh, about this, you know, about widespread voter fraud and and the idea, just the general idea that the national election is rigged. And and, you know, both times we rated those our worst rating that got our our pants on fire rating. Right. That's Um, when
1: your your little dial flips upside down. Right.
3: (laughs) Right. Well, yeah, it catches on fire and the and the and the needle goes crazy. Yeah, that's that's the one. And, you know, what if what it found is, you know, okay there are instances of voter fraud, you know, as as we're seeing right here, you know, there are things where where things happen ballot stuffing and voter impersonation uh you know what also happens is bought votes you know and and uh those are things to look out for especially in a state with a lot of mail-in balloting because you know what can happen is is people will buy someone else's ballot and fill it in and then mail it in okay Mm -hmm. so these things do happen but when we're talking on a national scale uh really where you see this is in you know hyper local races where uh you know a hundred votes actually could make a difference you know and on a national scale when you're talking about millions of votes you know first of all uh, every state does their own does their own system okay there's no big national system where everything can be tampered with Uh, there have been some concerns about electronic voting machines but uh, no real documented cases of any you know major uh, problems where it's to the point where they can tell people have changed votes
0: Josh Gillen will gotta leave it there uh, up against the clock here. He is with PolitiFact and the Tampa Bay Times with us from their newsroom and uh, Patty Mazet with the Miami Herald with us as well from their newsroom. Thanks to both of you for joining us on Decision Florida. Still to come, could Florida lawmakers tackle new gun laws this spring? What about campus carry, open carry? This is Decision Florida from Florida Public Radio. Welcome back to Decision Florida. I'm Matthew Petty from WMFE in Orlando. And I'm Tom Hudson with WLRN in Miami. During a visit to Orlando back in July, U.S. Senator Marco Rubio was confronted by more than a dozen people gathered just blocks from the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. They had urged the senator to back legislation that would make it harder to get guns.
3: First Amendment protects their right to be here, and I respect that very much, and they make points that we should be listening to. I just honestly don't believe that whatever it is they're screaming for would have prevented this attack from happening.
1: Well, Nicole Doucette agrees she was at a vigil the night after the Pulse shooting and one of her friends was in the club, at that time was still unaccounted for.
2: Things like this, gun control wouldn't prevent it. It's the people. It's it's just the people in general and the hate that they have in their hearts because he could have went in there with several other weapons of choice, minus guns, and it could have been just as bad.
1: Well John uh, Gutmarker has been an NRA certified firearms instructor, a prosecutor and a police legal advisor. He's also written a 350 page book on Florida gun law. He had an answer to, and it's not more gun control.
3: Primary problem number one is mental health, which we are not addressing, Okay, and the second problem are terrorists.
0: Now the Florida State Legislature rejected several gun bills this past spring. One of those would have allowed guns on college campuses. Uh, A second one would have allowed people to openly carry firearms. In the days after the Pulse massacre, calls by Democrats for a special session in Tallahassee were ignored. Patricia Brigham heads the Florida Coalition to Prevent Gun Violence. Now, the League of Women Voters created this group in response to the Pulse shooting. She has spent the past three years battling what she calls, quote, bad gun bills as part of the League's efforts.
5: Campus carry, open carry, standard ground expansion. We were constantly sort of on the
2: defensive. We thought it's time to go after some proactive, smart
5: gun legislation.
1: Well, the number to call 305-995-1800. That's 305-995-1800. If you're following us on social media, hashtag Decision Florida, We want to hear from you on these issues. Is this a motivating factor getting you out to the ballots to cast a vote this election? Do you think something needs to be done to reform those gun laws in Florida, if not nationwide. 1-800, sorry, 305-995-1800. We're joined now by WMFE's Renata Sago. She reported on the push for new gun legislation after the nightclub shooting. She joins us now from the studios at WMFE. Thank you so much for joining us, Renata.
6: Thanks for having me.
1: So tell us a little more about the heart of this push for proactive smart gun legislation that you reported on. What does that mean?
6: Well, the idea is that you know, shooting deaths are becoming more and more prevalent. When a pulse happened, that really hit the nail on the head for a lot of folks here in Orlando. The key word here is proactive. It's about focusing less on defeating proposals and really establishing something that's grassroots. You know, the more shootings taking place, the more people affected, and the ideas that gun legislation reform can really take place from the ground up.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, who's pushing for this aside from folks like the League of Women Voters and, and some of the other people you you uh, talk to for your reporting?
6: Well, the League has been the most vocal advocate. Um, they create a, a coalition, actually, with more than 90 groups, and that runs the gamut everywhere from everything from LGBT groups to faith leaders, um, affinity groups, and also they're nonpartisan, but there have been some legislators and candidates on board to really mm-hmm. step in and Base their whole platforms on, you know, changing gun laws here.
1: Does it look like a, a non-partisan or a bipartisan effort here?
6: The hope is that it would be bipartisan, but it's pretty divisive. It's a really touchy subject. And along party lines, you could sort of see that, you know, more Republican conservative groups that have support from the NRA, they are a bit more hesitant to Uh, push for a complete overhaul. A lot of folks like Marco Rubio, um, they are pushing for the sort of no-fly, no-buy legislation, which Mm -hmm. would essentially prevent anyone who's on an FBI watch list from getting a gun. That's the most progressive that they are going to get with this. Uh, You do see some Democrats who are actually pushing for a complete overhaul. I mean, that's from Florida level on to the national level. You hear people calling for a universal ban on... um, assault weapons, and also the background checks, that's something that you hear. Mm
0: -hmm. Gray Rohr is also along with us. Uh, He's the Orlando Sentinel's Tallahassee bureau reporter. He joins us from our sister station, WFSU in Tallahassee. Gray, I wanna bring you into this conversation. uh, Finding Mm -hmm. that environment that legislators are going to encounter in the spring session after this election cycle when it comes to guns, Uh, between the grassroots efforts that Renata has reported on and the more institutional uh, efforts that we've seen from the NRA and others, uh, what what it will be the environment uh, come springtime in Tallahassee? Well, it obviously, it's going to be um, uh, there'll be more
7: pressure on, especially Democrats, to, as you said, put forward more proactive gun control uh, measures. But the the math um, might be a little bit better for uh, Democrats after election, but it's still going to be an overwhelmingly Republican-controlled. Uh, legislature where, um, you know, relaxing gun laws are, are probably more likely to be uh, passed than any sort of, uh, you know, proactive gun control uh, measures. If, but it it will um, uh, come to a head, I think, uh, because of uh, Pulse and uh, everything that's happened uh, uh, this year.
0: When talking about relaxing gun laws, we saw arguably a couple of those that would have. Uh, Relax some gun laws, fail to, to even come up for a hearing last year. It was campus carry and open carry. There's been calls since Pulse uh, to get rid of the gun-free zones with uh, opponents saying those gun-free zones have, have not done anything to deter uh, gun violence. Are those the kinds of pieces of legislation that y- that you think could come up that, that, that are more expansionary in nature?
7: Well, uh, some of those uh, could come back, uh, although... Um You know, and and this happened obviously before uh, polls in the legislative election in the spring. Those uh, died in the, especially in the Senate, Um, and I believe uh, the Republican uh, Senator um, Miguel Diaz de de la Portilla in Miami is sort of, um, uh, you know, running on that the fact that he Mm -hmm. helped kill these uh, gun bills in a um, in a swing district down in um, Miami Dade. So the uh the atmosphere uh might have been changing a little bit but there's um you know the the political reality especially for Republicans in deep red seats is you know nobody can get to their right on uh gun uh bills and uh, this issue um or else they have a, a real primary and threat and the question is you know is that going to happen on the other end with gun control and Democrats
5: mm-hmm
1: what about the response? Do you get the sense, Gray, that uh, the response to some of these bills might be a little different this year because of what happened at that nightclub in Orlando? Uh,
7: certainly so. Um, the the language and the the way that people uh, will have to talk about it is going to be uh, have to be a little bit changed, um, uh, just because of so how horrific Pulse was. But it also touched on uh, not just gun control, but, you know, af- after things sort of settled down, people sort of went into their camps with Democrats saying it was gun control and Republicans basically saying, that, no, this is about Islamic terrorism. And so while some of the, the rhetoric and the language might be a little softer, a little changed, um, it, it's it's still going to be pretty uh, heated when it comes down to, you know, casting a vote for some of these bills if and when they come up.
1: Sure. Gray Roar is the Orlando Sentinel's Tallahassee Bureau reporter, also joined by Renata Sago with WMFE in Orlando. You can join us too, 305-995-1800. And uh, we're going to take a call now from Cherie in Jacksonville. Uh, Cherie, you're on the air. What are you thinking about when you hear this debate about gun control?
5: Well, I think it's ridiculous in America that we don't have gun control. My daughters teaching English over in China, and they don't have... Little kids getting shot with guns. They are the largest country in the world with the most people, and they have complete gun control. So we we can't say that it's just the people and not the guns. When, when,
1: you, you, know, say, when you say when you say gun our- control, Sheree, what do you mean? Like, what does it look like? For, what do you want to ha- see happen here in the United States, in Florida, at least?
5: Well, geez, anything would be better with what we have now. Um, what I'd like to see is people on the FBI no-fly list not be able to have guns. What I'd like to see is uh, no guns on campus. I'd like to see no military-style weapons in the hands of people. We are seeing most of the people that are getting shot in Jacksonville are from domestic violence. It's not from criminals, as people, you know, think. It's actually from people that are ignorant having guns. That either don't have the coping skills or they don't have the knowledge to operate guns properly.
1: Yeah, well, uh, thank you so much for your call. There, uh, Ronaldo, let me just throw this back to you. I and mean, you did some reporting before Pulse on some of uh, some some shootings that weren't necessarily mass shootings, of the likes of Pulse or other ones we've seen around the country. Uh, you talked about some uh, shootings, a series of shootings at the Bethune Cookman University in Daytona Beach. Um, just talk to us about you know that sort of undercurrent of uh, shootings, you know ones and twos here and there. How does that factor into this conversation about gun control?
6: You know, Cherie raises a really important point that you hear a lot of gun reformists bring up. Um, but the idea that I've heard from a lot of pro-gun folks, I'm talking people who are NRA certified, uh, military, military vets, whether whether they're LGBTQ or not, they say that it's really a question of a run amuck sort of gun control. Culture, but mm-hmm. also a culture that does not place an emphasis on mental health or um, community building or sorts of relationships between people. A lot of people um, at the Pulse nightclub shooting told me that it was a hate crime, and that the you know the gunman he could have pretty much uh, attacked anyone in a, in that club with any sort of weapon and had a similar effect. Uh, for example, John Gutmacher, who you all played a clip from earlier. Mm-hmm. He he said something similar about the sort of stigma that's been placed on handling mental health funding cuts that are constantly placed um when it comes to uh mental health you know public health centers things of that nature they just they're there and uh it's just such a polemic issue and um on both sides of the fence i mean i've spoken with people who were were in, innately and intensely connected with victims of the Pulse shooting, who, um, you know, have really altered their views on guns. But by the same token, there are people who are again saying, "Hey, um, I'll use my gun. I'll protect myself. Mm-hmm. We just need to protect ourselves mentally."
0: In Florida, uh, at the end of September, there were eight uh, 1.8 million uh, gun licenses. Uh, on file for the state. A third of those are for Floridians, uh, Gray, 51 to 65 years old, by far the most significant concentration age-wise of uh, legal gun licenses in uh, the state of Florida. 1.6 million of the 1.8 million are concealed uh, as well. Um, And so when we're talking about the environment in Tallahassee, the political environment that the state legislators are running in right now and what they will encounter in Tallahassee, this is an age demographic that clearly are concentrated gun owners and is an age demographic that also, uh, uh, previous elections have shown, are um, significantly more likely to turn out and vote.
7: Well, uh, that's right. And obviously, being in Florida, too, it's a Significant block of the uh, uh, electorate, and um, as I was saying before, it's a, a, a pretty much a central block that you need if you're uh, uh, running in a Republican district and don't want to get uh, um, primaried, or if you're running in an open seat. So it's uh, like I said, the 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 math on, on some of this isn't going to change a whole lot because you'll still have a, a deeply, you know, overwhelmingly repor- Republican
0: legislature. Um. At after uh, November, mm-hmm. uh, Gray Roar uh, covers uh, the capital in Tallahassee for the Orlando Sentinel. Uh, Wmfe's Renata Sego is along with us from Orlando. This is a decision Florida statewide. From WLR in Miami. This is Florida Public Radio.
1: Go to go to the phones again. Here we've got Rufus calling in from Orlando. Uh, Rufus, what are your thoughts about this debate?
8: Well, good afternoon. Um. First, I want to acknowledge I'm a university professor mm-hmm. and a former police officer decorated for valor uh, and a Democrat, but I'm not in support of any tight gun control legislation. Uh, it's, it's abundantly clear for me that guns get the, the focus, but the real issue that I think there are a couple of issues. One mental health um there's a generation of young adults that have been um medically treated since they were in kindergarten that have some mental health issues that have just been they've just had medicine thrown at them and Uh, Uh, Rufus,
0: just for clarity's sake, it's Tom Hudson. Uh, Are are you talking about attention deficit disorder uh, uh, issues?
8: I'm talking about uh, attention deficit disorders, uh, bipolar uh, issues, and other mental health issues that don't get really addressed. Medicine thrown at
0: them, Rufus. Let me just put which, that to to Gray uh, Aurora, who covers Tallahassee, and and this issue of mental health entering into the gun debate. I think it's an important issue. Renata, you have highlighted this in your reporting. Uh, uh, Gray, is is there a uh, broader debate here where the environment now exists post Pulse to have these uh, debates uh, less about specific firearm control? or or legislation regarding availability and licensing and a more comprehensive discussion about mental health funding? Yes, uh, excellent um, question, because
7: uh, I think you'll have uh, both, uh, just as we had uh, last year. Um, There's uh, some general agreement, even among Republicans, that Florida needs to boost its mental uh, health funding. I think... um, some of the last uh, comparisons or studies showed that uh, Florida was about 49th uh, per capita among states regarding mental health funding. Um, their explanations, the Republicans that are when they are going through the budget process, are that the the dollars simply aren't there. Well, in a 70 billion dollar plus budget, they have to are, are going to have to either make some decisions about where else to cut because. They're not going to get any extra revenue um, by increasing taxes, so uh, I think it's um, there's some general agreement there, and it's it's going to be a question of can they make the the numbers work. Um, uh, as far as that goes, yeah, I don't think it's
0: mutually exclusive. Yeah. Uh, Not mutually exclusive between mental health and, and guns. Uh, Gray Roar watches Tallahassee for the Orlando Sentinel with us from our sister station WFSU in Tallahassee, and Renata Sego is with our sister station in Orlando, WMFE. Thanks to both of you.
1: Well, that's our program for today. We invite you to join us on social media. Share your experience this political season with us. Use the hashtag Decision Florida. You can also download a podcast of this program at iTunes. Search for Decision Florida.
0: Decision Florida is produced by WLRN Public Media in Miami by Julia Duba. Polly Landis is our booking producer. Rebecca Intralgo, our phone screener. Katie Lepre does social media. And Jason Zabka is our technical director.
1: With engineering help from Charles Michaels, WLRN's program director is Peter Martz. We received production help this week from Minnesota Public Radio, WMFE in Orlando, and WFSU in Tallahassee. I'm
0: Matthew Petty. And I'm Tom Hudson. This special program from Florida Public Radio has been a presentation of WLRN Public Media in Miami. Thanks for listening.